Okay, ready? Hands up. Okay, here we go. This is quite simple. If you can remember an event in your life that was very disappointing, as soon as you remember it, open your hand. Okay, close them. If you can remember a moment that was of great loss, the moment you remember it. Okay, close your hands. If you could remember, if you could, the first time, or I'll say, say any event where you felt defeated, open your hand. Okay, interesting. Okay, next one. If you can remember a moment of betrayal, where you felt betrayed. Okay, next. A moment of great sadness. Okay, good. Next. A moment where you were completely and absolutely content. Hmm. Okay. A moment where you felt like you completely had victory. Okay. Next. A moment where you... Remember, you have to remember that moment in your head. Where you saw a miracle of God. Okay. Next. A moment where you're like, man, I'm happy. Okay, hands down. Found it interesting. As I'm looking here, we have this selective memory. I mean, let's face it. Our brains don't have the RAM space necessarily to hold every memory we've ever created. We have this tendency to latch on to the hardest moments the roughest moments, the scarring moments. If you could see your hands, how quickly the hands go up when you see disappointment or betrayal, problems, weakness, failure. But how slow the hands are for victory. You see, here's the problem. We're going to remember something. There is a, there's a compartment in your brain specifically for memories. I, I've heard it said that if... A person has a positive experience in a restaurant. He may tell as many as two people. If a person has a bad experience in a restaurant, on average, they will tell 45. If a person has a, sees a good movie, they may tell, and by that they mean something that they felt affected them, they enjoyed. They may tell as many as eight people. But if they saw a movie they detested, they will tell over a hundred I think that's why there's more people blog under those circumstances. And here's the point. Is that if we are naturally inclined to remember those moments that were rough, defeat moments, moments of sadness, moments of grief, but we can't remember those moments where God showed his power the greatest, then God has this rebuilding to do in that compartment for each of us. See, understand somewhere down the line, over 225 times in Scripture, God tells us that we are to remember, or that he will remember something. Peter, four times in Second Peter, will say, I write this as a reminder. I want to remind you. I want to remind you. By the way, I want to remind you, because it's safe that way. And, and here's the, the reason I say that, is in our chapter, we are about to partake of the first Passover. That's a remembrance Passover. The last time we had a Passover, which the first Passover, a year ago in text where we were in Egypt when we ate it. 
I mean, God had been laying low every God of Egypt, small case, you know, God in Egypt. And in doing that, he wanted to show again that he was the only God worth worshiping, the only real God there is. And in doing that, we didn't know what we would look back on a year from now. When we were in Egypt, when God's like, I'm about to, bam, and then I'm going to take that thing down, I'm going, to, I'm going to take down Pharaoh, I'm going to take down his son, I'm going to take down anything else that people worship, and you're going to go free with lots of stuff. The Egyptians are going to be so happy to let you go, they're going to give you their stuff. Please, have my big screen. That's the idea. My iPhone, here's my iPhone, take my iPhone, take anything, just get out of here. Yesterday, that would have seemed crazy. But when God said that in Exodus 12, it was all new territory. Freedom was new territory. Life was new territory. The idea of making a choice yourself was new territory. The idea of being able to go where you wanted, get up when you wanted, go and and think what you wanted was new territory. The idea that you didn't have to wake up fearing the whip. Wake up with another day of bondage. That was new territory. And that was only a year ago. And how quick we forget. You know what's interesting? In this chapter, in this chapter, God's going to talk to us about, I mean, now it's time to have the Passover. We've had two chapters to prepare us for this Passover. But then what's interesting is, by Numbers 11, and if you're in your Bibles, flip to Numbers 11, verse 5 for a second. Just check this out with me. (coughs) It's only a chapter and a half away from this. This is what the people say. We remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt. Oh, and the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. The garlic. Oh, the garlic. Never did we fear a vampire. We ate so much garlic. (laughs) At twilight, we ate garlic. See, they remembered. You know what they remembered? Like the little thing. So someone's in a horrible relationship. It's disappointment after disappointment, broken promise after broken promise, weakness after weakness, failure after failure. And finally, they get the courage to get out. I'm not talking about a marriage. I'm talking about Something that shouldn't end in marriage and should get out before it gets there. If you're married and that's where you're at, come and see me. Let's get into Scripture and let's let the Bible beat the heck out of all of us. But you get out and then all of a sudden a week comes by and you hear that song. It doesn't mean anything to anyone else and you bust into tears. Adele starts to sing and you're openly weeping and you say, oh, I missed that one moment when he brought a flower, which he took from a table down the way on the restaurant he was late for because he was with someone else. But the flower you remembered. Oh, we remember the garlic. Here's the problem. God's like, if you don't let me fill that space, you're going to fill it wrong. Do you get it? And here's our problem. Follow me for a moment. Judges, chapter 8. If you know anything about Judges, one of the darkest times in the history of Israel. But Judges 8, which will be basically 
the Torah will end with them at the, you know, at the gates, not getting in, so to speak, the Jordan, the banks of the Jordan. Joshua will take them in and give them their land. And then after Joshua is the book of Judges. And this is what we read in Judges 8.34. Thus the children of Israel did not remember the Lord their God, who delivered them from the hands of all their enemies on every side. Why will it be such a dark time? Because they forgot not just who, that they are delivered. They forgot who delivered them. And that's even more dangerous, to be honest. I mean, to remember that you're free to wake up and say, I actually can make my own choices today, that could be really dangerous. But to forget who gave you that freedom, infinitely more dangerous, infinitely more. Because then you'll give someone else credit. It's interesting, by the way, back in Exodus, and go by the way, in Exodus, back in Exodus 20, when God gives us those Ten Commandments, do you know that in the Ten Commandments he tells us to remember? Do you know what he tells us to remember? Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath. Hey, don't forget that when I made you, the first thing I did is I took the day off. Don't forget that. That I created you to be with me. Don't ever forget that. Could you imagine what would happen if we just remembered that alone? Could you imagine? If what we remembered is when God made you, all he wanted to do was be with you. Could you imagine what would happen? Flip to this Numbers book that we're in, chapter 15. I love that sound. Numbers 15, verse 39. And you shall have a tassel. Oh, go ahead and get there. I'm sorry. You shall have a tassel that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them. And that you may not follow the harlotry, which, listen, to which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined. Do you know what that means? God got in a relationship with a girl he knew has a problem with faithfulness. For her to be unfaithful, all she has to be is herself. Oh, the bride that he's chasing after. Could you imagine? And he says, look, if you actually forget to do these, you'll fill that space with something else, and your heart, which is prone to wander, will wander. Flip to Deuteronomy. These are some of my favorites, by the way, and I'm just giving you a few. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, now, if you're new to the Bible, you're in Numbers. The next book's Deuteronomy. You're safe. Deuteronomy 5.15, it says this. And remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Never forget where you came from. But, and the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. Don't you see what he brings you back to? What's an outstretched arm? If God wants to... Nice. Think about this for a moment, though. If God wanted to flex, would you stretch out your arm? When do you see bodybuilders starting to go like this? Right? They start to bend them, right? Because the more you bend, the bigger they get. Now, understand, why does God show that he rescued you with an outstretched arm? What that means is God's salvation was this. It was not this. And that's almost how we look at it sometimes. Get yourself out of it. I'm right here. 
I'm here to hug you at the end. Come on, champ. You can do it. It wasn't that at all. What God did is he did this. He says, come on, D. We're going. That's the idea here. I want you to recognize God's like, don't ever forget that when you got saved, that's what I did. And by the way, God did the reaching, not you. You were dead. Imagine someone's dead and you're like, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. The one thing the guy's going to do is rot. Because that's what we do naturally, by the way, when we're dead. Flip with me just a little bit farther over. Deuteronomy 7, 18. <clears throat> when you get threats by all the people around you as you follow him, he tells you this in Deuteronomy 7, verse 18. You shall not be afraid of them, but you shall remember what the Lord your God, not just Lord God, but your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt. Man, never forget how God kicked the enemy's bottom. Do you forget? Or is it just me? I mean, I know, I, I know intrinsically that truth. But it doesn't go... See, there's problems. I can access some memories. Tell me if this is like you. I can access some memories and still feel that, that event. I can go back in my mind. And I can go back and I'll be like, oh, that was, that was painful. Or, oh, that was felt, the betrayal I felt there. Or, or the confusion I felt at that moment. Oh, I could go back and feel those moments. But can I actually go back and feel that victory? That moment when I went back and went, oh my goodness, I really am free. Why do I not feel that the same that I would those others? What's wrong with me? He said, stop being afraid. You know what's interesting? Do you know what brought the prodigal home? He remembered. He got to this point where he finally went, what in the world am I doing? My, the servants of my father's house have it better than this. Can you imagine the fact that that's what, what, what changed him? How about the book of Revelation when he speaks to that first church? That boy, they can tell the truth. They can sniff out a phony, the church of Ephesus. And he says, oh, you did Oh, you can do that. Oh, you got the truth. You're so right, you're dead right. You're so busy being right that you've left your first love. You know what he says as a result of that? He doesn't say, shame on you. He doesn't say, what's wrong with you? He says, you need to remember from what heights you've fallen. Do you remember the high you had with him? When it was just you and him, before you got wrapped up in the politics, and before you got wrapped up in all of these it's instead of the him, where all of a sudden your Christianity is about it now instead of him, what in the world has happened? And he says, you know why you've left the first love? Because you don't need me to riddle people full of holes because you're right. You need me because you recognize you're wrong. That's the problem. And in all of these cases, there is this necessity of remembering. But not just remembering, remembering rightly. And there's the problem. What if we pray today, God, fill my memory bank with those things so that when I experience something, when I go back to access it, it's your victory, your miracles, your promises fulfilled, your might, your power, your pleasure, your intimacy. What if that was what we pulled back and we opened up that drawer and that was what was in there? And we had to, and so that when we actually, and it's like you open up that drawer and it's like pain, suffering, all these horrible moments like in the front. I mean, I know people, it's like, you can tell me, I can tell you when my mom died, I can tell you when my brother died, I can tell you when, I can give you those dates. But I can't even tell you the day I got saved. 
How in the world does that work? Can I tell you the day that God raised my daughter? Why is it that I have some dates but not the good ones? I want it to be so that if I could pray this for us today as we go into this text now, then when we open up that drawer, at the front are the glories of God. And we have to dig through all of those if we want to get back to something painful. In chapter 7, if I could remind you, as we worked to this point, when he started us on this preparation for the Passover, this first remembrance, he says, look, I want to remind you, it's on your shoulders to carry God's testimony. You remember that? Oh, you can put the tent on a cart, but you can't put the presence of God in those testimonies on anything but your shoulders. And then we spent the rest of the time consecrating the altar. The altar where the blood is shed, where man can be right with God, has to be set apart. In the last chapter, we lit the lights and we launched the Levites. Isn't that what we did? We put the lights up in the front because we want people to be able to see. And not only we put the lights up in the front, then we launched those who were serving. We actually let people know there is service that is necessary for this to happen. And therefore, 22,000 people were recruited. And now it's time to get into our remembrance. And what God does, not just there. Pray with me, would you please? Lord, as we turn our hearts to you now, captivate us with every breath draws closer. Replace our memory bank with those things that would be that we can draw from to draw closer to you. It's amazing, Lord, how you could feed five thousand, but when the four thousand show up after that, we seem to be absent of recalling the five. It seems crazy to me that you could heal a demoniac, but the next time a person is possessed by something, we have a problem and forget how powerful you really are. That we did claim, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? And Lord, as we open up this text, open our hearts to it. May we have so much fun in this text. Draw us close. Lord, just may we get it. So have your way now, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. I would say today, as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible always have the final say. Now, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai. You're all with me, right? This is Numbers chapter 9. The Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the first month of the second year, after they had come out of the land of Egypt. It's been 12 months now. That's the idea. Saying, let the children of Israel keep the Passover at its appointed time. Did you notice the word let there? Which tells us, by the way, that there are people that actually want to do this. On the 14th day of the month, at twilight, you shall keep it at its appointed time. According to all its rites and ceremonies, you shall keep it. So, Moses told the children of Israel that they should keep the Passover, and that they should, and they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the first month, at twilight, in the wilderness of Sinai, according to all that the Lord commanded Moses. So the children of Israel did. In the first five verses, it's a simple command, and Moses obeys. There are going to be two very simple points in all of this when we go through this chapter. And by the way, the first is that God has a very appointed time. Did you notice this? 
This goes all the way back to Exodus chapter 12 when God said, Now, listen, and I love this. <coughs> he says, Now that I'm about to deliver you out of this, now I'm about to remove you from your bondage and defeat the enemy right in front of you, let this be the first month of the year now. The calendar changes. Your entire life changes now so that every new year, when you go Happy New Year, you know you're about to kick in remembering that a new year brings a new life. And that new life started the day that the enemy was defeated in front of you. The day that I got you out of the land of bondage. That's when real life began. And there are people out there, listen, listen, listen. They're trying to find life in the bondage. You're not going to find it there. And they're trying to do it by sedating themselves, by distracting themselves, by by trying to get in enough relationships or do whatever they can. And in all of that, they're doing it in such a way that they're still, that they forget that they're slaves, that they forget that they're desperate, that they forget that they're hungry, that they forget that they're empty, and that they forget that they're so desperate that if they could just forget about it for a little bit, maybe they won't be in the bondage they're in. But they are. And God says, from this moment on, this is the month that starts your life. Every time you get near this month, you're going to look and go, oh, it's new. There's a whole new everything. And God goes, that's the whole idea here. August is my month. In the middle of August, on one of those days, and I could probably go back and try to figure out the math, but let's just say in the middle of August, this year I will officially be a Christian for 30 years. And I, can, can I just tell you, I love Jesus more today than I have ever loved him. And my goal is to be absolutely rabid for him a year from now. I want to get to that point where I'm like, I can't imagine loving him any more than I do. And then letting God constantly change that. Now, please hear me. That was when my life began. And I want to have a rebirth day. And it should be more important than my birthday, in my opinion. Because my rebirth day was the day that I became, well, let me say it this way. Without that, you would not be celebrating either day. Because the person I was needed to die. God says, let's start here. And you're going to count 14 days from this day now. And in 14 days, we're going to have this celebration. 10 days, on your 10th day, you're going to pick out a lamb. And on the 14th day, you're going to kill it and eat it. You're going to take the blood and put it on the lintel of the doorpost. And by the way, for those who are going to the Passover, we'll see all of that develop tonight. And he says, listen, I have a specific day for this. I have a specific day set apart so you could always look back and say, you know, I was a slave and I needed to be saved. We forget that sometimes. We forget that because God gifts and he blesses and he puts this whole new culture where we can rise to the top of it somehow and be popular now and be a part of this whole new thing. And if we don't like it, we'll just create our own little subculture somewhere and try to make it so that the rules apply so we look good there. But in verse 2, he says, appointed time. Verse 3 said, appointed time. And in verse 5, they said they kept it just the way that God commanded it. But there's a problem. Look at verse 6. Now, there were certain men who were defiled by a human corpse. So that they could not keep the Passover on that day. And when they came to Moses and Aaron on that day, <coughs> excuse me, those men said to him, we became defiled by a human corpse. Well, you like their honesty. Why are we kept from presenting the offering of the Lord at its appointed time among the children of Israel? 
Moses said to them, Stand still, that I may hear what the Lord will command concerning you. So there's a group of guys. We don't read how many of them. Now, I imagine if you go to certain traditional churches, they may even have names for these guys. But these guys, we don't have any names. But we just know there's more than one, and they got defiled. In other words, well, why is that? Well, listen, according to Numbers chapter 5, verse 2, it tells us, by the way, that when a person rubs against a dead body, they're not to hang out with a lot of people. They're actually to go out of the camp. Which, by the way, if that was in Numbers 5, and then we're in Numbers 9, and they got defiled by this body, and they're talking to Moses, who I assume is in the camp, they're kind of already breaking the rules, aren't they? Unless Moses is kind of hanging out at the edge, leaning over the fence. Hey, guys, what's happening with her? Hey, why do we... We don't get that. What we read is these guys are approaching him. In Numbers 19, verse 11, God will tell you and me that when someone touches a dead body, you're to be unclean for a week, seven days. I think that's interesting. Now, we're aware of it now, looking back at history. See, God knows what he's doing. See, there's so much that God knows. Well, infinitely more, of course, that God knows than we will ever latch on to, no matter how good our integrated circuits become. God knew about things like germs before we could see them. So what would happen when the Jews were being accused of being sorcerers during the bubonic plague? Because everybody else was dying but them. Because God gave two simple rules. When you touch a dead body, bathe, and then stay away from other people. And so when these rats were carrying, that were living on the dead bodies, were carrying mites that actually carried the disease, and every time they got near, they did something strange, they bathed, the Jewish people were not dying like everybody else was. And they thought, well, then the Jewish people must be performing sorcery. Actually, they were just obeying the law. See, understand, imagine what would happen if God actually told us we did what he told us. We probably wouldn't have half the things. I probably would still not be. I mean, if I Sabbath more, I probably wouldn't be struggling with the illnesses I have. But understand, God says, I want you out of the camp, but only for a period of time. You're not permanently out there because I don't want you to take death into the camp. I don't want you to take disease into the camp. I don't want to create epidemics except for love, joy, and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithful, gentle, self-control. That's the epidemics I want. I don't want the other epidemics in here. It's interesting. Because of this, this idea that they know that if they touch those kind of things, and by the way, they'd say the same thing about entering a Gentile's place. It was interesting because the religious leaders, that's why they wouldn't set foot into Pilate's praetorium in John 18:28 because they knew that if they did that, they couldn't celebrate the Passover. So these guys are like, why do we not, why, why do we have to, why can't we do it with everyone else? Now, God could have, at a moment like this, he could have said, let me explain to you germs. Let me explain to you the problem of contagious diseases, things that nobody was equipped to do, but God didn't do any of that. What God does is he susses them out, and I do like this. Now, Moses says something interesting. What he says is, stand still. In other words, stand still, just be quiet for a second. Let me go check with the Lord on it. By the way, that's always a great answer. Well, you know what I find interesting? The last time somebody said, stand still, was in Exodus 14, verse 13. And it was to Moses, when Moses' back was against the, the water. And he's like, God, they're going to kill us. And God said, stand still and see my glory. That was the whole point of it. What he said was, don't be afraid Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. Moses now speaking to the people. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall, well, you shall see again 
no more. Forever. What a great statement. And all of a sudden, it's Moses' turn to say again, now stand still. But this time he's going to check with the Lord. All right, Lord, what do I do? You said, don't let them, you know, have this Passover. These guys seem like they really want the Passover. These poor guys, they're just helpless victims. What's going to happen? In verse 9, God says, speak to the children of Israel and say, if any one of you or your posterity, that means your family, your lineage, that means that comes to today, is unclean because of a corpse or is far away on a journey, he may still keep the Lord's Passover on the 14th day of the second month at twilight. He may keep it. They shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. By the way, that's always been required. You have to have unleavened bread. You have to have bitter herbs. They shall leave none of it till morning, nor break any of its bones. According to the ordinances of the Passover, they shall keep it. But the man who is unclean and not on a journey, I'm sorry, the man who is clean and not on a journey, and ceases to keep the Passover, that same person will be cut off from among his people, cut off because he did not bring the offering of the Lord at, notice again, appointed time. That man shall bear his sin. Now, understand what God does here. <coughs> Anytime a rule is, a line is drawn, someone wants to stick their toe over it. Have you noticed that? Matter of fact, Paul even says that. He says, I wouldn't even have known what it meant to covet until God said, don't do it. All of a sudden I realized, I covet. I'm like, hey, whatever you do, just don't look at this. Uh-huh. Now, here's the point. <coughs> God knows how to suss you out. So you're like, I'm just a victim, you know. I mean, by the way, the, the law had already gone forth about not touching dead things. But just the same, hey, you know what, I've been defiled. No, all of a sudden it's like, let's keep the Passover. Whoa, 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 what's up with this? God says, well, again, if, you, if what it really is, is what you really want to do is keep the Passover, you can do it next month. If what you really want to do is just be among your friends and bend the rules, that ain't going to cut it. Did you notice how God still kept the law, but showed mercy? Isn't it beautiful how God does that? You know, interesting... <clears throat> if you remember this, by the time you get to Chronicles, if you're the kind that reads the Bible in the year, for instance, in Second Chronicles chapter 30, it says this, starting in verse 1, that Hezekiah, he was, by the way, the king of the south during the time that the northern empire was being taken captive. That's the 720s B.C. That says, he sent to all of Israel and Judah, and he wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover of the Lord God of Israel. For the king and its leaders and all the assembly of Jerusalem had agreed to keep the Passover in the second month. For they could not keep it at the regular time because a sufficient number of priests had not consecrated themselves. Nor had the people gathered together in Jerusalem. And that matter pleased the king and all the assembly. So they resolved to make a proclamation throughout all of Israel from Bathsheba, that's by the way the far north, far south, to Dan, that's the far north that they should keep, come and keep the Passover to the Lord God at Jerusalem, since they had not done it for a long time in the prescribed manner. Now understand the idea of it is By the time I get to Second Chronicles, I see how they played this out. What God said is, hey, if you're defiled, you could come back in a month and actually do it, and I'll allow you to do that. If what you really want to do is worship me, I'm not going to stop you, but I don't want you bringing your filth in among the people. So, if that's what you really want to do, you can come a month later. By that point, this will be washed off of you and you won't have to worry about it. But I want to make sure you still do it right. You still have to do it with unleavened bread. You still have to do it with bitter herbs. And you still need to not break the bones. Which, by the way, takes me to Psalm 34:10, where we read that not a bone will be broken. 
Psalm 22, 14, where it prescribes, by the way, crucifixion 600 years before it was invented, where it says, all my bones rather are out of joint. And thus, in John 19, 36, that Jesus' bones weren't broken when he was hanging on the cross. He had already died. But, if you actually can get there, you should get there. So in other words, this is not an escape clause for you to be lazy or a procrastinator. And by the way, I think that's important. God doesn't go, well, look, if you don't feel like it in the first month, you got a second chance in the second month. He goes, look, if you can make it go. If you happen to be stuck in India, well, then come next month. But if you actually can go, go. And that takes us to the last section on this. Interesting that God now makes, he reiterates this point after that. The first point, God is a very specific time. Did you notice that? Even for these defiled men, he says, it isn't like, well, whenever you're clean, come on in. He says, I have a specific time even for you as an accommodation. But even with that, I have a specific time. And now in verse 15 to the end, he has a specific place. Now, on the day that the tabernacle was raised up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony, from evening until morning. It was above the tabernacle like an appearance of fire. And by the way, some quick verses. Exodus 14, verses 19 and 20. Nehemiah 9:12. I know you're probably not going to just get these super quick unless you're amazing. You're probably amazing anyways. Isaiah 4, 5. Ezekiel 10, verses 3 and 4. And 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 5 will reiterate this whole point. Notice the words covered and above the tabernacle, so and at the command of the Lord. I'll try to read it in a way. Well, now, on the day of the, that the tabernacle was raised up, the cloud covered the tabernacle. The tent of the testimony. From evening until morning, it was above the tabernacle, like an appearance of fire. So it was always the cloud covered it by day, and the appearance of fire by night. Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, after that, the children of Israel would journey. And in the place where the clouds settled, there the children of Israel would pitch their tents. At the command of the Lord, the children of Israel would journey. And at the command of the Lord, they would camp. As long as the clouds stayed above the tabernacle, they remained encamped. Even when the cloud continued long, even when the cloud didn't move for a long time, even when we had to wait for a long, long time. Many days above the tabernacle, the children of Israel kept charge of the Lord and didn't journey. So it was when the cloud was above the tabernacle, a few days, according to the command of the Lord, they would remain encamped. And according to the command of the Lord, they would journey. So it was when the cloud remained only from evening till morning. What if it was a short time? Then the Lord, I'm sorry, then the cloud was taken up in the morning and they would journey. Whether by day or by night, whenever the cloud was taken up, they would journey. Are you getting the point he's making here? Whether it was two days or a month or a year that the cloud remained above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would remain in camp and not journey. But when it was taken up, they would journey. Now, here's a couple questions for you. Ready? These should be, if you don't get these questions, I think I'm just going to go and play another song. I'm just kidding. What caused the people to stay? The cloud. What did it do? 
It stayed. The people stayed when the cloud stayed. What caused the people to go? When the cloud went, the people went too. When the cloud stayed, people stayed. What if the cloud stayed for two months? How long would the people stay? This is good. See, look at how quick you are. What if the cloud stayed one night? How long would the people stay? What if the cloud stayed a year? What would the people do? Stay a year. What if the cloud stayed, but everybody else around you seems like they're going somewhere and you're staying. What do you do? Stay. What if everybody seems like they're not going anywhere, but the cloud's moving? Do you go? Yeah, sounds like those are the right answers, doesn't it? But they're not as with vehemence all of a sudden. Please hear me in this. For some people, God displays, gives you a chance to display your faith by going. For some people, God allows you to display your faith by staying. Let me say it this way. For some, God has to say, go. You know, it's like, now there are others, that's not the case. But like Chris, perhaps. And I'm just hypothetically picking on Chris because he's got a purple shirt. And you go, and the Lord says, Chris, I want you to go and do this. And Chris is like, mm, I'm not sure that's the Lord. I better go pray. Good. Chris, I have this for you. And he says, mm, I better fast. Chris, I have this for you. Why don't you just, mm, I better read the word. Chris, I have this for you. Mm, I should go watch Oprah just in case. Chris, I have this for you. Oh, I'm not really sure. Is this really the Lord? And then Mary says, Chris, I have this for you. And he's like, oh, maybe it's, maybe that's true. I mean, and the reason I said there are some people where God, it's like, it's like, I need like 12 signs. Right? There are some people like that. Some people, God has to say go. Other people, God has to say no. Joe, maybe this. Okay, I'm gone. How many signs does she need? She doesn't need one. She woke up. She had, she had pizza at night. She had a kind of fun dream in the middle of the night. I think I should go. Boom, there. And God may have to go, no. Some people, he's like, go, 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 go. And somebody's like, no, 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 no. Do you see what I'm saying? Here's the problem. God really, really, really wants us to display our faith to a world that has tremendous faith in nonsense. Man, they trust crazy things. But it's okay because everyone took a vote on it out there and they all agree. But it's, you know what it says? Let God be true and every man a liar. In other words, God's not going to change his mind because every one of these foolish, small brain creatures that we think are so smart have decided that we agree on something. That's not going to do it. He's not going to go, oh, well, since I created you, and I obviously, you have this very finite knowledge, but since you're all together, you're probably right, I'm probably wrong. It's not going to happen. And here's the problem. God wants the world to see what it looks like to trust the truth. You know what's crazy? We have less faith in the truth than people do in lies. And we have no spine, and they do. People will die for causes that mean nothing. I think of those guys on the Titanic that decided they were going to play that last concerto on the way down. The way I think of it is, a cello floats. That's my first thought. 
Hop on that baby, take the bow, and just start going like this with it. I mean, the bottom lightning may not get you far, but it'll get you better than... It makes for a good movie, but it's really terrible. Hey, so God's like, so you died. How do you feel about it now? Here's the point. Listen, please hear me. When God said stay, where did he... Listen, 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 listen. Where did he put the cloud above? Oh. He didn't put it above the people. Couldn't God have made a cloud big enough so that everyone just had to fit under the cloud? Why do you think he put it at the tabernacle? Because, see, that's where he wants you to live. It's Psalm 92, verse 13, where it says, He was planted. Listen, planted. Planted doesn't mean drive through He was planted in the house of the Lord. will flourish in the courts of our God. God really wants you to know what it's like to live here. Now, not in this building, but to live with him. To be in his courts, not in the courts of man. To be in his intimacy, not be intimate with the world. And there's the problem. Do you know what happens? When we're listening and our eyes are on the world, we will go because we feel like we should be going by now. Any of you here, you are so tired of waiting because somehow in it, <clears throat> your eyes are on something other than the cloud. That was the cloud, by the way, that was God's presence. When that tabernacle first came up at the end of Exodus, the cloud filled the place. By the way, we'll see the same thing in Exodus. We'll see the same thing in Isaiah. We'll see the same thing in, in the book of Revelation, where God's presence fills the temple. That's not just an ornament cloud where it's like, wow, cool little fluffy thing. That's God's presence. And it comes in and fills the place so no one can work. And it's like, we can look at that and God's, it's not moving. That should be comforting. And the reason it should be comforting is, one, it's easy to find. Two, guess what? He says, remember that whole rest with me thing? Do you know what it's like to rest with me? Rest with me. And we're like, no, 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 we need to go. My friends are going. My, you know, my, everyone else around me says, you should be gone by now. And I'm listening and I'm hearing all this. I'm looking at the papers and it says, what's wrong with you? And he's like, because I'm looking here, I'm looking there, I'm looking here, I'm looking there, but I'm not looking up anymore. I don't have any peace anymore. And I feel like a failure. I feel like a failure. Why? Because, because somebody else is allowed to set my standards. What is wrong with me? And God says, you know, I wanted to make it clear. If I'm not going, don't go. How hard is that? You know what the problem is? I have to stand before people that I know mean well and love me that are going to say things that are so against the cloud. Hey, I, I, I mean well, but I, I'm saying this because I love you. Does, and, you know, when people say that, do you ever get that uh-oh feeling right away? Because I love you. Can I just say, mm, you know, like that moment, like, hold on, before we want to talk, can I say, stand still. And let me go hear what the Lord has to say about it. Because then I learned that from Moses in the first half of the chapter. Because what, the, what those people were saying is, I know this is what God said, but... Isn't that what those guys did? I touched a corpse. I've been around death. I know, I know what God said, but... And they said, you know, well, you just keep your butt right there. I'm going to go check with the Lord. That's what's going to happen. 
And when he came back, he's like, you know what? I'm going to suss you out, but I'm doing the things the right way. And then we know what happened is people go, I know what God says, but you should be. You better be. You should be. And it's like, but these are people who love you. These are people who raise you. These are people who are like your, your buds. And you're around them, and they're like, oh, they're going to feel like I'm a failure. But like God's like, you know what? How could you be a failure when what they really need to see is you trust me? That's what they need to see. Because in the sight of eternity, that's failure or not. And you bow to them, and you sucker to them, and they watch you, and they go, well, apparently whatever they trust can't be that great. And you're like, but it's waiting for so long. It's been like 10 days. Or 25 years for a baby. Starting at 65, ladies. Remember that? 430 years to give you the promised land. Well, actually, 470 years, because after the 430, you got another 40 to wander in the wilderness before you get 470 years. Before you get the land that God promised? You tired of waiting? I mean, you know what's so funny? Try to read this five times. Just those verses from 15 on. Just try to read them. You'll be like, you know what will happen? I guarantee you, if you're not careful, what you'll do is by the first time, in the middle of the first time, you'll be like, yeah, 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 two months, two months, yeah, whatever. That's what we get. We can't even read the text under the cloud. God's like, sit down, stand still, and hear what I have to say. Isn't that what Moses said? Yeah, I know, but. You know what that but does? It causes you to backslide. That's what it does. And you, here's the crazy thing. There is, listen, there is no, and I mean no, reason that is good to backslide. Can you agree? Yeah, here you can. You're in church. You better say it here. There's no reason, no legitimate reason to backslide. This is the one who died for us, sent his son to die on a cross to pay for our sins and rose again, and we're going to play this game that somehow that's okay to ditch him for a bit and run away from the cloud to try to make sure our friends, our family, or whatever is happy. That's where we're going to go with this? And you know what happens? Those that love him, that stay under the cloud, will notice and be concerned because they'll see the joy isn't anywhere but under the cloud. Peace isn't anywhere but under the cloud. Hope isn't anywhere but under the cloud. And can I just say, do you see why he stuck this here? He didn't have to put it here, but he put it right after the Passover. Because at Passover, was remembered, we were slaves. We were in bondage. We were helpless, but we cried out and God saved us. Let me bring you back to that so that you can remember that I have never stopped leading you. From the moment I took you out, I never stopped leading you. It was a cloud. By that way, that cloud showed up to get in between you and the Egyptians, by the way. Don't you remember that? When they were approaching you, that cloud got in between and said, you ain't getting to my people. You remember that when he protected you that way? And then he said, all right, you guys, now walk through the water. And you're like, walk through the water. What does that mean? He says, stand still, let me show you. Stand still, watch this. And then it's like, however you see Charlton Heston or whoever, or, you know, Velcro raise his hand in the staff and the cartoon and everything goes. And then there's the whale and the thing. And then they walk through. And then God says, okay, now it pulls up the cloud. And everyone's like, you commission. They're like, yeah. Ah, ah, ah. Would you really run through there from that point on? You've got walls of water on both sides in a deep valley. And you think, yeah, let's get them now. Sure. And God's like, because you're going to see them no more forever. Isn't that the way he said it? So we got him to the other side. 
And so then watch this. See them? There they are. There's one. There's your enemy. Remember, you were freaking out just a moment, crying, saying, oh God, you hate me. See what? why? Because there's no opening anywhere. Oh, I wouldn't have thought you'll probably open up the water for me to walk through. I didn't think that one through. You think that one through? Please hear me. Please hear me. God has a time. His time may not be yours. More than likely isn't. But he also has a place. His place is his tabernacle. Have you noticed that? It's interesting because when we read in John chapter 1, it says the word became flesh and tented among us. Literally, that's the term. That tents Jesus. That's who it is. And I can tell you, dwell there. Don't just visit. Live there. God's like, I want to move in. You know how into you God is? The moment you said yes to him, he came and moved inside of you. Can you get any closer? That's how intimate God wants to be with you. Hear me as we're about to pray. God's timing, he's never early, but he's never late. Late for you, yes, but never, he's never late for him. Lazarus was sick. Friends were sent. The one whom you love is ill. John 11. You know what it says? Because Jesus loved those three, he waited. Are you actually thinking that? Are you in a season right now where you're waiting? In your season of waiting? Can you hear God tell you he loves you in it? Are you battling him to rest? Because I guarantee you, if you're battling him to rest, your walk is suffering. I know it. That's the way it works. And God's saying, no, stop, rest. Maybe there's some here, the Lord is moving, and you're like, mm, and he's saying, go. Let's go. I have so much more for you than to warm a pew. I have people to touch, lives to change, worlds to change around you. Follow me. I can tell you this. If your friend's going and you're staying, but that's where the cloud is in each of you, then you're in the right place. But please, if we're going to remember right, then we have to keep our eyes on him. How do you remember right without it? Beloved, hear me. We're at a juncture in our lives right now. In a city that's desperate and empty, and we're aware of it. Spiritual zombies surround us. And they are desperate for evidence that only you are. And believe it or not, when somebody calls you to the carpet and crawls up in your grill and says, do you really believe, they actually want you to say yes. Because if you ask an atheist, do you really believe a pea evolved from nothing? Came to be a bee one day and then exploded and became this beautiful complex thing? They will say without hesitation, yes. Because I saw a really pretty picture once in my school book. It wasn't a photograph. It was a drawn picture. 
of clearly somebody that was smarter than you, who wasn't there when it happened, but he learned from someone else who's really smart, who wasn't there when it happened. But yes, yes. You're like, do you really believe God created this? Yes, because I heard it. Oh, he was there when it happened. And he told me about it. Look, at the reason I say that is it's time for us to stand and keep our eyes on him. And whether you're in that ba 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 ba, should I stay or should I go now? Look at bottom line is if God doesn't go, don't go. How simple is that? But you know what's like? Well, how do I know that the Lord is moving? God will take the burden of communicating with you. He knows how to speak fluent you. He can make you restless. He can pull up all of your tent pegs. He will make it clear. But if he isn't calling you to go, stay. And, he, and here's the cool thing. Plant yourself in him. Plant yourself in him. And I guarantee you, if you plant yourself in him, when he goes, you'll know it. And he'll take you with. This all starts with this. The celebration of deliverance came because a lamb was slaughtered. The Lamb of God. So the enemy could be defeated. And we could be delivered out of the land of slavery. Of bondage. He set us up. Because 1400 years later. John would say behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And that Lamb. The Lamb of God would be slaughtered. So that he could permanently deliver you. From the land of bondage. And out of the hand of the enemy. But there's a choice. When God led through Moses the people out of Egypt, you could have stayed. Nobody was handcuffed to leave. You could have stayed. And you could stay in Egypt. But every one of us needs to leave. Because God says, I don't live in bondage. I lead you out. Have you accepted the gift of Jesus Christ? Have you said yes to that gift of God's perfect son dying on the cross for you? Where every sin was vanquished. Every guilt was paid for. Because if you haven't, I'm going to give you that choice. And as he rose three days later, he offers you a new life. A life out of your Egypt. A life out of that bondage. A life out of the hand of the enemy. And Jesus says, then no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. That's where you are now. But that's your choice. And that choice we'll make now as we pray. Will you pray with me, please? <clears throat> Thank you, Lord. <clears throat> Thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you, Lord, for the life you've given us, <clears throat> for the hope we have in you. Thank you, Lord. That you know how to keep us in our place even if we don't know how to sit still. And you know how to move us even if we don't want to get up. 
And I pray, Lord, for every goer, wherever that is, that you give us that sight of eternity where when you call us to go, we know this is going to have eternal impact. I pray for every stayer where you call us to sit still, to hear you, to listen to you, not to everything else. God, that we would sit still. I confess to you, Lord, I'm not gifted at sitting still. I've never been. But Lord, I want to rest in you. You tell us in Ephesians 2, Lord, that when you seated, Father, when you seated your son at your right hand, and though I was dead in my own trespasses and sin, the moment I said yes to your son, you lifted me up and seated me in your son. Even as Jesus lives in me, I live in him. And I recognize the spiritual battle will always be trying to get me out of that lap, trying to get me out of that place, to try to take into my own hands what is not ordained for me to do. And I know, Lord, the Bible is riddled full of examples of people who have tried to help you out, which is just ridiculous at the thought. And Lord, I pray right now that you would forgive us for all of the dumb messes we've created because we got tired of waiting. But Lord, I recognize that happens when our eyes are off of you and they're on something else. So glue our eyes to you, Lord, I pray. Sow our ears to you, Lord. Fasten our hearts to you. I pray for those, Lord, who are more sedentary and given over to that seeking of worldly comfort than the adventure you would lead us on. You know how to make restless. You know how to light fires underneath. You know how to put the carrot and the whip out to whatever is necessary. But, Lord, you tell me to warn the complacent. So, Lord, for anyone here who is complacent, Lord, Speak to our hearts that every one of us would know. Would say yes to you. Even as we sing, if you say go, I'll go. And if you say, I'll stay. But Lord, right now, as you're working on the hearts of those that have made claim to you, if there be any within the sound of this voice who have not said yes to the gift of Jesus Christ, his death on the cross and his resurrection three days later, then right now is your choice to make. The Bible says if you're willing to confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So I'm going to pray a prayer and I ask you to listen. And at the end, if you agree, I ask you to say, a confident and resounding amen. And what you're saying is, yes, Lord, I agree. That, make that prayer my prayer. Let those words be my words. So be it in my life. And here's the prayer. God, I confess to you, I'm a sinner. And I know you have a right to punish every sin. But I believe you punished every sin of mine and the world upon the Son, your only begotten Son, Jesus the Christ, who died on the cross in my stead, 
paying for it all. And then just as you promised in Scripture, he rose again on the third day. So as he died on the cross, for me, I confess him as my Savior. As he rose on the third day, as you promised, I confess him as my Lord, the architect of my reinvention, the new leader, love, light, and life of me. So here I am, Lord. The one thing you asked for is my surrender, and that I do willingly. So here I am, I'm yours. Have me now. Jesus, be my Lord, be my Savior. I'm yours now, in your name. And if you agree, I ask you to say, Amen.